0: Chapter Twenty Five, Right before Dave and I began rehearsals with TSO in early fall of 2007, we got word that IFC had picked up our show for a whole season. We were super thrilled and unbelievably excited. We were set to begin filming sometime in February 2008. For some reason, Bob always had something against TSO. I think he felt threatened that he didn't have full control over Dave. Every chance he got, he would badmouth TSO, calling them all washed-up 80s rockers or has-beens. Bob decided to take advantage of getting the TV show picked up for a full season and having the new Riker Hill record contract by telling Dave he didn't want him to go on tour with TSO this year. This was ludicrous. 95% of our fan base was either people that knew Dave from TSO or people that saw us on the KISS tour. But of course, Dave listened and he agreed not to play with TSO that year. Crazy. I always thought of Dave as a goofy kid. He was just always happy-go-lucky, without a care in the world. I admired that quality about him. But I also thought it hurt him in these types of situations. He was easily manipulated. I wish Dave would have taken a stance once in a while, but he was more than happy with just going with the flow. Bob and Lynn needed full control over Dave and Paulie. They always had Polly, and now they finally got Dave. They knew they could never get me, and that secretly pissed them off. I thought it was a terrible move. This was jeopardizing Dave's future and was disgusting of them to demand it. Paulie and Dave never really understood the concept that Bob and Lynn worked for us, not the other way around. There was no way the TSO tour, which ended in late December, by the way, was going to interfere with the TV show that we were set to film in February. In January 2008, we were asked by three-time World Series champion manager, Tony La Russa, to perform at his animal rights foundation, ARF. Tony and his family were big fans of TSO and knew Dave Nzo 2 because of that which is more proof that TSO was important to the success of zo 2 Tony flew us out to San Francisco, where it would be zo 2 and Motley Crue singer Vince Neil performing. Tony and his family treated us like real celebrities from the moment we landed. He had a limo waiting for us at the airport and him and his family all greeted us personally at the hotel upon arrival at 11.30 p.m. On the day of the charity event, ZO2 sound checked, and it must have freaked Vince Neil out a bit. He was originally set to headline the event, but shortly after hearing us, he decided that he wanted to go on first and let us close the event. La Russa was upset with Vince. Obviously, Vince was who the people were coming to see, and Larusa thought it was pretty crappy of him to change time slots just because he felt intimidated by a young band. It's amazing. Tony La Russa and Vince Neil two really rich and famous people who brought completely different ethics and morals to the table. Vince was nice enough to us backstage, but we could tell he was a little awkward and uncomfortable. After the performance, Tony invited us to the after party at a ritzy club. Knowing I was a big Yankees fan from the conversation we had earlier, Tony came over to me at the party and we talked baseball for almost an hour. He even told me a story of how he was supposed to be the one to replace Buck Showalter as Yankees manager right before Joe Torre took over in 1996. Wow, I bet nobody knows that story. Overall, it was a spectacular experience, and I remember thinking to myself, wow, all of these great things are happening, and now we get to go fly home and film our own TV show. Life was getting crazy in a good way. Once we got back from San Francisco, we had to come up with a name for our new TV show. Paulie, Dave, and I suggested "Ain't It Beautiful," so we could use that song as the official theme. But the executives at ISC didn't really like it. After a few weeks of going back and forth and not really agreeing on anything, the head of IFC, Evan Shapiro, sent out an email that the show would be called Z-Rock. It's funny. We all completely hated it at first and thought it sounded so cheesy. But now, I could never imagine the show being called anything else. Season one of Zerock was written like this. We all got together with the producers, Mark and Mark, and head writer Andrew Gottlieb. Paulie, Dave, and I would just tell stories of real shenanigans that went on in the band. This became the skeleton that Gottlieb then used to write each episode. The plan was to film season one out of order, starting by filming episode four, which starred Gilbert Gottfried. Upon arrival on set for the first day of filming, Paulie, Dave, and I felt like we had officially entered the land of Oz. As amazing as touring with Kiss had been, we knew right away this was bigger and that this was a completely different animal. The first shooting location was inside a mansion that would play as Gilbert's house for the episode. There were about two dozen crew members, including makeup, hair, drivers, writers, producers, and network executives. All of them on site because of us. It occurred to me how different this was from the Kiss Tour. We were only on the Kiss Tour because they brought us along. On the set of Z Rock, we were the stars. Everyone catered to us. It was absolutely incredible. Before we began filming for the first episode, which was really the fourth, we sat down and had a table read. Essentially, all of the main actors, producers, and directors sat down to review the script together. One of the stars of this particular episode was well-known stand-up comedian Greg Giraldo. Greg showed up completely whacked out of his mind. I have no idea what he was on. He tried to sit with us for the table read and couldn't even hold his script. What a mess. They had to take him back home and let him sleep it off. I think he was also pretty wasted most of the other times we filmed, but this was the only time he was completely unable to act. Unfortunately, years after Z-Rock wrapped, Greg overdosed. It was really sad. The very first scene I ever shot for Z-Rock was Becky and me talking on the couch about an engagement ring. All the producers told us was that Becky should start calculating how much money I would need to have to buy her an engagement ring. The rest was improvised between me and the actor-comedian, Alison Becker. I was still a little unsure and nervous about what they wanted. This was not only my first scene of the season, but it was my first scene without the other two schmucks. At one point, during one of the takes... I asked Becky, who came up with this ridiculous tradition of an engagement ring anyway? She answered, I don't know, Jesus? I said, Jesus? What did he make, a wooden ring? <laughs> as soon as I said it, I heard the whole production staff laughing in the other room. From then on out, I never felt awkward or uncomfortable filming again. The schedule zo 2 was on while filming Xerox was grueling but at the same time, absolutely exhilarating. Our call time every day on film days was usually around 7 a.m., and we would sometimes film until midnight. That made for a 17-hour day. We loved every minute of it, except for the old cliche that I'm sure everyone knows, hurry up and wait. We found out it was very true. It always seemed like an absolute emergency that we get to set, get in wardrobe and get in our makeup and be ready. Then, as soon as we were ready, the director usually made us do something for about two minutes and then sit around for the next three hours. Trust me, we weren't complaining. We were on the set of our very own TV show, which means we were basically in heaven. After a very tiresome and long week of filming, zo 2 would still play shows on the weekend. Sometimes, even leaving straight from the Xerox set to make it to the gig. It was insane. On one such weekend, zo 2 was set to open for 80s rock band L.A. Guns in Pennsylvania. We had just come off a crazy week filming Z-Rock, and now we had a four-plus-hour drive to go play a show. We had played this part of Pennsylvania many times before, and we knew that we would pack the place. Once we got to the club, we began to set up our gear in front of the headliner, L.A. Guns, which was commonplace for the opening band. Usually, the headliner's drummer would use the drum riser and the opening act would set up on the floor directly in front of them. Just as I was about finished setting up, the road manager for L.A. Guns ran over to demand that I immediately remove my kit from the stage. At first, I asked him, legitimately confused, what the problem was thinking I actually had done something wrong. He started yelling at me, my singer will not do a sound check in front of another band's drum set. (laughs) I quickly understood I was dealing with a jerk off on some kind of power trip. He picked the wrong night and the wrong drummer to try this with. I got in his face and started screaming at him. Who the fuck do you think you're talking to? I will knock your ass out right here. Let's go. And I waved at him to come at me. <laughs> now, I'm not really someone who fights a lot or gets into fights. But over the years, I've had to lay out a few snapper heads. This was definitely a snapperhead that needed a beating. He backed down almost immediately and began backtracking his words. You don't understand. M- my guys need space to sound check. I said, if they need space, they got it. I'm out of here. I began packing my drums and was heading out. I knew that without ZO2, there would be no crowd that night. He knew it too. By then, Bob had come over to try to calm me down and to keep me from leveling this guy. The road manager began pleading with Bob to make me stay, but I wouldn't have it. Bob asked to talk to me and pulled me aside. I said, still pretty heated, I absolutely refuse to play with these jerkoffs." The road manager approached and started pulling out money. Here, here, what will make you stay? I said without hesitation, $200. He handed me $200 and I said, and my drums get set up on the stage right now. He meekly replied, yeah, okay, no problem. My guys will work around them. (laughs) Bob repeated that story to everyone for the next year. He couldn't believe how furious I was and how close I was to knocking this guy out. Then, seconds later, I immediately calmed down after getting the $200. <laughs> this story was actually the foundation for what Z-Rock writer Andrew Gottlieb used for Episode 2, starring the whitest kids you know. In Episode 2, Z-O-2 slash Z-Brothers battle our rival band, Kid Tastic. Just like in the real situation with L.A. Guns, my character gets into a little scuffle with the other band. But for the fun of TV, I was beaten up at the end. The original plan was to have a member of Kid Tastic punch me and knock me out. But I had a much better idea. Still being a big wrestling fan, I'd always wondered what it would be like to get hit with a guitar just like the honky-tonk man used on his opponents. Since Kid Tastic would have their acoustic guitars in the scene, I thought it was the perfect opportunity to pay homage to the Honky Tonk Man. The producers loved the idea. The scene went as follows. I was supposed to insult Kid Tastic by calling one guy's sister a derogatory name for making them ridiculous-looking T-shirts. This insult would cause one of their members to lose it and blast me with the guitar. If you've ever seen the Honky Tonk Man perform you'd know that once the guitar hit his opponent, the guitar would appear to shatter upon impact. I'm not exactly sure how this was achieved, but I do know it wasn't a regular wooden guitar. In the wrestling business, they would call it a gimmick guitar. On the morning we shot the scene, I was walking through ideas with the head of the props department, Tyler. I asked, how did you find out what kind of fake guitar to use? Fake guitar, Tyler responded. No, we couldn't find one of those fake ones that shatter upon impact. But don't worry, I made a few cuts in this one, and it should break when he hits you with it. Needless to say, I was a little worried, as were the producers, but less about my well-being and more about whether or not I was able to act like I was really getting hit. I then explained that I'd been wrestling in Madison Square Room my whole life and that I would easily be able to take a hit and make it look fantastic. We were ready and the director called action. I delivered my insult to the three members of Kid Tastic, each of whom was wearing a t-shirt with one letter on it. The first letter of his name. When they stood next to each other, they spelled out (laughs) F-A-G. Well, I made my obvious comment and turned around to chuckle with Paulie and Dave. As soon as I turned, I was blasted in the head with a real wooden acoustic guitar. My pride is now worth a couple hundred dollars from this kid's party, okay? It's not. Right, so you're here? Pride of the Yankees. You Pride know of Joey. Right? You, okay, so what do you want to do about it? I don't know. We got to do something. I'll do, I'll do something. You know what? I'll be right back. Yo, guys. just want to let you know, you didn't get one up on us this, this time, okay? What are you talking about? You three geeks, all you'll ever be is kids' positions. Remember that. These are the gayest shirts I've ever seen. This is ridiculous. Look at these shirts. Hey, my sister made these shirts. Your sister's a retard sister's not retarded. She's special. Yeah, whatever.
1: (laughs) What the hell?
0: It almost legitimately knocked me out, but I didn't let on. I'd been waiting to take a guitar shot ever since I first saw Honky blast the Macho Man 20 years prior. I knew I had nailed the take, but the director yelled, okay, one more time just to make sure we have it. I probably already had a slight concussion, and now I had to do it again. On the second take, we went through the whole thing again, and right as the guitar hit me, one of the pieces of wood cut my face pretty badly. Even though now I definitely had a concussion, and I sported a pretty nice cut on my face, I was having the time of my life. The first season of Z-Rock was an unbelievably exciting time. We were potentially on the verge of superstardom, and each episode of filming got funnier and more outrageous, with guest stars like Dave Navarro, John Popper, Dee Snyder, and Joan Rivers. My favorite episode from Season 1 was Episode 8, the first episode that we shot on location overnight. The whole cast, crew, and network went to Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. We arrived the night before filming was to start, and I brought my old buddy Scally along for the trip. Scally and I stayed up to 4 a.m. drinking and gambling. My call time the next morning was 6 a.m. I remember one of the producers, Lindsay, banging on my wall when she heard me walk in at 4 a.m. yelling, You better be ready by (laughs) 6! I was. This episode was really great because Paulie Dave and I got to film our own little story arcs inside the episode. This, along with episode 7, really built on our individual characters and helped us understand what our character's role was in the show. A really funny part about episode 7 of season 1 was when D Snyder stole one of our songs and told the world that Twisted Sister was back. In the episode Dee is some kind of mentor to Paulie, and he really gives Paulie advice on his love life. Paulie writes this beautiful love song and sings it to his long-lost love. Dee steals Paulie's song and presents it as the new Twisted Sister song to his management company and announces, Twisted Sister is back.
2: Paulie, writing music comes from deep within you. I mean, you really got to tap into the emotions that are going to drive this song. That's what connects with people. I understand. I mean, dude, I love We're Not Gonna Take It. I'm like one of the We're Not Gonna Take It? That's not the greatest song I ever wrote. I Want to Rock? this a great. No, 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 no. I mean, that's the stuff that was, that were hits, you know? I mean, it were hit records. They're great songs. I mean, they're iconic anthems for the ages. I mean, God, every man, woman, and child sings those songs. But that's not the greatest song I ever wrote. Only one person has ever heard the greatest song I ever wrote. What are you talking about? Suzette, woman I've been with for 32 years. When I met her, it was like the sky parted, the rays came down. It was a message from God. It wasn't until I connected with that emotion, with that rawness, with those nerves, that it all opened for me. And the we're not going to take us, and I want to rocks, and the burning hells, and the metal came out, man. That came from my love for Suzette. Earned in hell came from the love? Well, through a series of stages. But look, you gotta, have you ever had a a, a real relationship? Have you ever felt real love for something other than your fucking self, man? Dawn Marie Palmero. Dawn Marie Pomero. So Brooklyn, right? (laughs) We're not gonna leave this lake until you've come up with this song that's gonna tap into those emotions. I wanna be with you. How long you wanna be with you? How long do you want to be with her? Forever. I can it. I want to
1: be with you forever and more.
2: Yeah? Where's Hopper? You don't need me anymore, man. Phil, Phil, it's Dick. Hey, you know how I wanted to do a Twisted Sister record? You know, because I haven't had any songs that I thought really were worth making a comeback for? Well, I haven't told you this, but I've been working on something for quite a while now, in the past two or three months, and, and finally it's finished. Check this out. I've been in love with you. I swear it's true. I want to be with you. You think that? I want to be with you forevermore. It's great, right? This is the one. I know it. We're back!
0: Classic stuff. My scenes for the next episode, episode 8, were really easy and super fun to do. All I had to do was sit at a blackjack table and gamble. It was always my belief, or maybe my superstition, that the only way a person can win in a casino was to make a lot of noise. So... I incorporated this into my scene. One big plus, I actually had my good buddy Scally in this scene with me. He was sitting at the blackjack table. You could see him all the way to the left. That's Scally. The end of the episode was supposed to have Joan Rivers fooling around with Van Halen lead singer David Lee Roth. At the last minute, because we were behind schedule, David Lee Roth unfortunately had to back out. We still ended the episode with Joan Rivers exiting Van Halen's dressing room while wiping her mouth. David Lee Roth did leave us three tickets to attend the Van Halen concert that night at Mohegan Sun. Right after filming, Paulie, Dave, and I ran top speed through the casino to catch the final three songs of Van Halen's set. What a perfect way to end a perfect weekend. I remember Big J Okison was actually dressed as a girl tennis player. And he also had a ticket to go see Van Halen that night, but he couldn't decide if it was worth running through the casino dressed as a female tennis player to go see the last few songs of Van Halen. (laughs) I think he decided against it. The first season would end on a cliffhanger when our nemesis, John Popper, double-crosses us and sabotages our new major record contract. We loved the way it ended because it really felt like we were going to get a second season. But of course... That would still depend on the ratings. Once the filming of the show was complete, we still had to come up with the opening and the theme song. We were pitching really hard for the opening to be Ain't It Beautiful from our current album, but the head of the network wanted a brand new song with the title of the show in it. zo 2 did actually have a recent demo called Big Release, and we thought the music was perfect. Now, all we needed were new lyrics. September 18th, 2007, another version of the big release. Bob and Andrew Gottlieb constantly butted heads. One of the show's main themes was for us to play original kids' songs at kids' parties. Each episode called for a different song, such as our birthday song "Blow It Hard" or our bar mitzvah song "Shalom Means Goodbye," which we did with John Popper.
1: Brothers. Hi, how are you? Shalom. Hi, Shalom. Shalom. Hey man, how you doing?
0: Man? Shalom. <laughs>
1: how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so they're going to be performing a little song after the kiddish. It's not traditional. But three nice Jewish
0: boys, whoa, whoa. it's okay. <laughs> Two Jewish boys, I'm not on their side. Team Jesus, my friend.
1: Two out of three, it's not so bad. The boys in the band will now sing the song of circumcision that they have written, especially for this occasion.
0: For some reason, Bob always gave Gottlieb a hard time and told him, the band won't write another song this week. I'm not exactly sure of the reasoning. I think he was just a control freak. Finally, Gottlieb was fed up with the arguing, and he decided that he himself would write some of the songs for us to perform. Bob countered with saying, we wouldn't perform anyone else's songs. And of course, this left a sour taste not only in the writer's mouth, but also the producers and the network. We encountered the same problem when it came time to write the lyrics for the Z-Rock theme song. Paulie, Dave, Bob, and I came up with parts of the chorus, but most of the stuff we submitted for the verse wasn't very good. Bob's lyrics were just always too contrived. The head of the network wanted the song to be very quick and easy and to tell the story of the show. Finally, We got a call from Gottlieb saying that Evan, the head of IFC, wrote the lyrics for the verse and that we were required to use them. Bob fought it a little, but finally gave in because the network head was making the call. Years later, I found out that Gottlieb had actually written the lyrics and told Bob that they came from the head of the network. (laughs) This was just the beginning of the problems among our managers, the network, and the producers. In early July 2008, just weeks before the premiere of Z-Rock, IFC flew us to LA to attend the TCA convention. TCA is short for Television Critics Association. We stayed at the Beverly Hilton Hotel and we were treated like kings. IFC paraded us around like we were the biggest stars on the planet. They held a private concert for all the TV critics with an after party to follow. Three boys from Brooklyn were having the time of their lives. We were like big kids in a giant candy store. While in my hotel room in LA, I saw the very first commercial for Z-Rock on MTV. I couldn't believe it. I quickly called the other goofballs to tell them and we all went crazy. I had always heard of stories of bands hearing themselves on the radio for the first time. This was that feeling times a thousand. It was the first time that all of it seemed real to us. We had put so much time, work and effort into not only filming the show, but then to get it off the ground. Actually seeing it on a TV commercial was something I will never forget. When we returned to New York City from L.A., we had two big surprises waiting for us. Two massive billboards were advertising the premiere of Z-Rock. The first was right outside the Lincoln Tunnel, and the second was right across the street from the world's most famous arena, Madison Square Garden. Z-Rock premiered on IFC on June 25, 2008, and was instantly the highest-rated original program in IFC history. The roller coaster had officially started down the tracks. We were more than ready for the wild ride ahead. Right after the second episode of Z-Rock aired, we flew out to Mountain View, California to play with the Scorpions and Sammy Hagar. This was a massive show for about 25,000 fans. Even though Z-Rock was still pretty new, it was quickly becoming a cult hit in the rock world. People went absolutely ballistic when they saw us. Believe it or not, Most people didn't even realize we were an actual band until they saw us perform. They thought we were just actors on a TV show. Right before we took the stage, Sammy gave me a bottle of his Cabo Wabo tequila to thank us for being there, and then he told us to have a kick-ass show. I even got to party with former Van Halen bassist Michael Anthony after the show. Michael was playing bass with Sammy at the time, and we enjoyed quite a few whiskeys together after the show. He was a super cool guy and down to earth. The next stop on our wild ride in 2008 was Lake Tahoe, Nevada, where we once again opened for KISS. KISS was currently on their Alive 35 tour, celebrating the release of their monumental album, Alive. When we arrived at the arena in Tahoe, we were greeted with open arms. It was almost as if the young kids KISS had taken on tour with them four years ago had made good. The crew, sound, camera, wardrobe, everyone really congratulated us on the success of Z-Rock and told us how proud they were of us and that they loved the show. Later in the day, at catering, we saw Gene and Paul. Gene, of course, immediately yelled out, But if you go! as if seeing an old friend. Paul told us that he watched the first few episodes of Z-Rock and that he thought it was really funny. Gene said the same. They both seemed so proud of us. In a way, I think they felt like we were their boys that they sent out into the big world and we'd made something of ourselves. I also couldn't pass up the opportunity to give each a copy of our new Xerox Adult Activity coloring book. <laughs> they both got a real kick out of it. During our set that night, we decided to play a cover song which we'd been playing for a while and was always a big hit. It was Rush's Tom Sawyer. We figured that if any Kiss fans didn't know who we were, this song might win them over. The song went over great and the crowd of over 12,000 really loved it. Dave sounded exactly like Getty Lee singing it. When we got off stage and headed back to our dressing room, all of the guys from Kiss were giving us shit for playing a Rush song. Gene even started doing a whiny impression of Getty Lee's voice. <laughs> We all got a big laugh out of it, and it actually felt great that KISS was now so comfortable with us that they were picking on us like we were their little brothers. Playing Tahoe with KISS was such a different experience from when we did the Rock the Nation tour four years earlier. I think that on the first tour, KISS felt like they were doing us a favor by taking us out with them. And they absolutely were. This time, because of z It felt like we were a more legit opening band that had our own fan base. It was incredible. Soon after playing with Kiss in Tahoe, I was asked to be a celebrity guest on the new MTV game show, Silent Library. A very young Justin Bieber had just been the guest the week before. Silent Library was a show where a bunch of people had to sit through ridiculous pranks and or scenarios and try not to laugh. If they could hold their laughter in, they would win money depending on the severity of the prank. In my skit, I was set to come out and play the drums on some fat guy's naked torso. He and his fellow contestants had to try not to laugh while I beat him with sticks for almost a minute. Because this had to be a spontaneous performance and get a real reaction from the contestants, I had an earbud piping in the producer's instructions. Once I began drumming on the guy's belly, The producer began calling out orders in my ear. Work his nipple. Now his crotch. Finally, he said, big finish. Really hit him hard. (laughs) It was a crazy fun day. I remember thinking to myself, how the hell did I get here? I'm playing drums on a guy's nipple on MTV. Shortly after our West Coast trips with Kiss, Sammy Hagar, and the Scorpions, zo 2 played in Virginia at a cool club we used to play quite regularly called Jacks. We were in our hotel room when we got word that Z-Rock was officially picked up for Season 2. The three of us were so excited that we began jumping on the beds like little kids. There was only one small problem. We wanted to have a brand new album to coincide with Season 2 of Z-Rock, and we definitely weren't ready. The next few months consisted of writing all the new material for ZO2's third album. The name of the third album would be named after a phrase I created and used all the time, casino logic. The phrase referred to justify a crazy way of thinking. For instance, if a person goes to the casino to gamble and loses $500, but had $1,000 worth of fun, then he was basically up $500. That's casino logic. Here's a song off Casino Logic about poker called All In. of writing Casino Logic was much different than writing Ain't It Beautiful. With Ain't It Beautiful, we had the luxury of battle-testing all of our new material on the road. For Casino, we needed to have at least an album tracked before we even began filming Season 2 of Z-Rock. Overall, I think this created a slightly less organic-sounding album than Beautiful. We had done a lot of traveling since Season 1 of Z-Rock, and we're now super excited to begin work on our third album, Casino Logic, and the second season of our TV show, Z-Rock. Chapter 26. Top of the World, Ma. Around this time, relations with our record label, Riker Hill, became very strange. Our managers, Bob and Lynn, were also chief operating officers at the label and were starting to act a little shady. They were segregating more than ever the two owners of the label, Michael Woke and Michael Morrison, from anything Z-Rock related. It was even to the point where they would tell us to make sure not to invite them to the set for filming. This struck me as odd and manipulative. Why wouldn't they want the heads of our label on set of our own TV show? It was different than when we began filming the first season and they made us keep the fact that we had our own TV show a secret. Z-Rock was now a huge hit. And of course, everyone knew about it, especially our own record label. Bob and Lynn were hiding something, but I couldn't figure out what. When we began tracking Casino Logic, it got even more suspicious. Now that we were signed to a label, it was in our contract that Riker Hill would pay for the recording of our next album. Right before tracking began, Bob and Lynn told us that they wanted us to pay for the album because Riker Hill had refused. We couldn't understand how or why our label would refuse. After all, this new album was going to be promoted on the second season of our hit TV show. We were also now instructed not to have any contact whatsoever with our label. Our weekly salary checks also stopped. Years later, we found out that Riker Hill did in fact want to pay for our new album with the amount stated in our contract. Bob and Lynn took it upon themselves to try and negotiate an obscene amount of money for the album, and Riker Hill stood firm at their offer, which coincided with what was in our contracts. We also found out that Riker was losing a lot of money, mainly on the large salaries that Bob and Lynn were making. Riker wanted to essentially fire Bob so they didn't have to pay his large salary anymore. Again, years later, the head of the label told me that Bob was basically doing nothing at the label and was a waste of money to keep on. I believe this triggered the bad blood between Riker Hill and our managers. Talk about a conflict of interest. That's why we were always kept away from talking to anyone at Riker Hill. Bob and Lynn assured us to just lay out the recording costs and that Riker Hill was in breach of contract and that we would be getting a new, bigger deal with a major label. I feverishly protested. I had just paid Paulie and Dave back almost $40,000 for fronting the first album and touring cost up until we got z I was not about to go into debt again on Bob and Lynn's word, especially since Bob and Lynn never laid out one single dime from their own pockets for anything. Paulie and Dave listened to whatever Bob and Lynn said and decided they would once again put all of the album's costs on their credit cards. They never even questioned them about why. On top of that, Bob had the balls to approach us with another producer contract that had us paying him another $10,000 to produce Casino Logic. This is where I started to lose my mind. I remember telling Paulie and Dave, If they are expecting us to blindly front the cost of the album without any real explanation as to why our label, whom they were COOs at, weren't paying for it, then Bob and Lynn should pay for a big chunk of the album themselves. Bob should only get his producer fee if we get the record funded down the line, not up front. This became a big battle. Paulie and Dave couldn't understand why I thought Bob and Lynn should help pay for the album. I tried to explain, Bob and Lynn aren't telling us exactly why Riker Hill is refusing to pay, and they also have as much to gain as we do, especially Bob, who is co-writer on every single song. By no means was I saying that Bob and Lynn should pay for the whole album, but if they were asking us, in good faith, to trust them, I thought they should take some of the risk also. Of course, I was outvoted again. The one and only thing that Paulie and Dave agreed with me about was Bob's $10,000 producer fee. We agreed that if Bob wanted to produce the album, then he would only get his producer fee if and when we got an advance for the album from either Riker Hill or another record label. After a lot of arguing, Bob eventually agreed to these terms, even though Years later, he would try to sue us for that exact $10,000 producer fee. Sad. Here's one of my favorite songs off Casino Logic, called Hero. to paint the picture for everyone. Bob and Lynn were our managers, but both also got salaries as the COOs of our now estranged record label, Riker Hill Records. They were also both getting paid as executive producers on Z-Rock, getting two-fifths of our Z-Rock money, and taking an additional 20% managerial cut of all the money we were getting paid. On top of that, Bob now wanted his producer fee of $10,000, which he wanted us to personally lay out. All of this smelled really bad to me. It wouldn't be until the end of Season 2 of Z-Rock that I would finally be able to put all the pieces together. In December 2008, right before we began filming Season 2 of Z-Rock, zo 2 had two shows with Twisted Sister at the Nokia Theater in Times Square, New York. Twisted was always one of my favorite bands growing up, and it was such a great experience playing with them in our hometown. Of course, Twisted still had a huge following, but coming off the success of Season 1 of Z-Rock, zo 2 also had a pretty big crowd during these Nokia theater shows. Between this and the Kiss show we had just played in Tahoe, we really began to feel the impact Z-Rock was having. These shows were also very special, because we had become really close friends with all the guys in Twisted Sister. J.J. had been in the original unaired Z-Rock pilot, D. was in one of the most popular episodes from Season 1, and was also set to appear along with guitarist Eddie Ojeda in the first episode of Season 2. We had been guests on Mark the Animal Mendoza's radio show numerous times, and we were very friendly with drummer A.J. Perot. Bob had been friends with J.J. for a long time, ...and we always thought he was very friendly with the other guys as well. Years later, we attended the 30th anniversary of Twisted Sister's landmark album, Stay Hungry... ...and we found out that Mark and AJ actually detested Bob. And Dee did as well, to some extent. Mendoza would always fool around with us and say that he was going to kick our ass or beat the crap out of us. It was kind of his way of playing. On the night of the 30th anniversary... He asked us where our asshole manager was. (laughs) We all started to laugh as always. He then got really serious and said, No, I mean it. I don't want to see that jerk off here tonight. Paulie replied, Wait, are you being serious? That's when Mendoza and AJ began to tell us all about how they really hated Bob for many years and just could never say anything because he was such good friends with JJ. We couldn't believe it. I was starting to hear this type of stuff about Bob more and more frequently from all sides. I wouldn't have changed a thing up until this point, but I couldn't help but notice all of the things that were going on around me. Something wasn't right. Right after the Twisted shows in 2009, Paulie, Dave, and I took our annual trip to Los Angeles for the NAMM Music Convention and another appearance at the TCA convention to promote Z-Rock. I had just gotten a new rep at Ludwig, Victor Salazar, who was a huge fan of the show. Victor called me right before our trip to Nam to introduce himself and to ask me if there was anything I needed from Ludwig for Xerox Season 2. Even though I had just recently received a brand new Champagne Sparkle kit from Ludwig, I mentioned that I was thinking about getting a new kit for Season 2. Never in a million years did I think he would say yes, but I figured, what do I have to lose? Victor immediately responded and said, Yes, absolutely. What did you have in mind? This caught me totally off guard, but luckily, I knew the Ludwig new catalog like the back of my hand and responded, I was thinking, either a red sparkle or an amber Vista light. Victor quickly responded, Why not both? The perks of Xerox were unbelievable. Upon our arrival at Nam, we were absolutely bombarded. Anyone and everyone knew who we were. As big of a hit as we thought Xerox was, in the music community, it was almost a phenomenon. Nam was filled with musicians who could really relate to everything that we did in the show. Driving in a van with all of our gear, arguing, crappy gigs, and getting screwed over. It was all relatable to this demographic, and they certainly let us know it. We couldn't walk 10 feet without someone stopping us for a picture, and an autograph, or just to tell us how much they love Z-Rock. I also found out that Ludwig was honoring me by including me on their 100th anniversary banner. They placed me right in between two of my favorite drummers of all time, Eric Carr of KISS and John Bonham of Led Zeppelin. I was blown away. Ludwig had scheduled me to do a signing with some of the artists on their roster. I, of course, was thrilled and honored to be a part of something like this. But I didn't really think anyone would care about me when guys like Alan White from Yes, Dave Lombardo from Slayer, and Jason Bonham, the late great John Bonham's son, were standing next to me. Boy, was I wrong. Once the signing began, almost every person in line not only knew me, but said it was one of the main reasons they waited online. line. It got so nuts at one point that Jason Bonham who had no idea who I was, asked me, who do you play with again? Everyone seems to love you. I told him I was on a TV show called Z-Rock. He said, I'm going to have to check that out. Life was about to get even better. One evening after Nam, while we were having dinner, I got a call from Madeline that would forever change my life. Madeline said, I think that the pregnancy test I just took said pregnant. I began yelling. What do you mean you think? A few months prior, Madeline and I had decided that we wanted to try and have a baby. We couldn't wait to start our family and this could be the beginning. Madeline replied by yelling. I can't read the little symbol that says positive or negative on the test perfectly. I told her to run to the store and get one of the tests that say yes or no on them. About 30 minutes later, she texted me a picture with the test that said, Yes. I was the happiest man on the earth. I couldn't believe I was going to be a dad. I wanted to shout the good news as loud as I could, but we decided to wait until Madeline was further along to tell everyone. Once I returned from LA, Madeline and I celebrated and were excited beyond belief, but it would be a few months before we could find out if it was a boy or a girl. In the meantime, I began filming the second season of Z-Rock. Still, filming the second season was nothing compared to the joy and excitement I was feeling. I was going to be a dad. The success of the first season of Z-Rock was unexpected. When we began filming season one, we really had no expectations and didn't really even care that much about the storylines. Season two started off completely different. Now that Z-O2 was a fide hit show, expectations were very high. We knew we had to make Season 2 even better than Season 1. The first day of filming Season 2 was a blast. It was so good to see everyone again and begin working. The very last scene of the first day was scheduled to be a fight between me and Harry Bronstein, played by comedian Greg Giraldo. In the script, my girlfriend Becky, who I hadn't seen in months shows up at a party where we were playing and kisses Greg's character, Harry Bronstein. The scene was pretty simple. I had to throw a couple of fake punches and then he was going to tackle me. Easy enough, right? Wrong. After Greg and I did all the hard moves, Paulie and Dave were supposed to lift me off of him to break up the fight. As I was getting up, my boots slid on the floor tile and my whole knee twisted and the whole room heard a loud pop. I screamed, not only from the pain, but from the horror of knowing what had just happened. I had torn the ACL in my left knee. What, Becky? What are you doing here? Hi, Um, I'm here to see my boyfriend. What do you mean? What, you think, what are you talking about? Oh, hey. hey, how are you? How are you? Whoa! Are you? Joey, what are you doing? I'll kill you. Joey, please, come, come on! Day? Take us go. Easy. Yeah, take your Joseph, jacket off, you, you coked up reason. Better. Let's go! Really? <laughs> <laughs> I was devastated. I went straight to the ER where they scheduled me for an MRI early the next morning. The results confirmed what I already knew. Torn ACL and torn meniscus in my left knee. This was only our first day of filming. What the hell was I going to do? Even though I was one of the stars of the show... They couldn't wait for me to have surgery and heal to begin filming again. That would have taken months. I did what I always did. I picked myself up and pressed forward. I decided I would hold off on surgery until mid-season so we could figure out a way to actually write it into the script. In the meantime, I would just hobble around the set and figure out a way to get all of my scenes done. I was back on set the next morning. I also played a ZO2 show with one leg just three days later. Let's see a sports star or movie star tear their ACL and go back to work the next day. Never happen. I wasn't going to let anything stop me. After tearing my ACL, we decided that we actually needed one more song recorded for the album. None of us thought we really had a hit single yet, so Paulie wrote another song with Chris Barron from the Spin Doctors called Painted Lady. I wind up tracking it with my torn ACL. I told the producers my plan, they couldn't believe that I planned not only to keep filming, but also to not compromise even one shot. Anything they needed me to do, I figured out a way to do it. When I arrived on set the next morning, my knee looked five times its normal size from the trauma and the swelling. The first scene we shot was when Neil comes to visit me at my new nursing job. The scene took about three hours to shoot and I was standing the whole time. Needless to say, Season 2 was off to a rough start for me. Even though I was injured, I was super excited about the second season. The scripts were calling for much more character development for me, Dave, and Polly. Because IFC was looking to become an ad-based channel, basically all that meant was ad commercials. It was also trying to clean Z-Rock up a little. We didn't have any more nudity and focused more on actual funny storytelling rather than shock value. Some people will say this hurt the show and made it less rock and roll, but I thought the show became stronger. In a weird way, me being injured actually led to a lot of funny little changes in the scripts. For instance, in episode two, Paulie and I were supposed to bring our dates to the ice skating rink and skate with them. Obviously, I couldn't skate with a torn ACL, so we changed it to me standing on the side while my date, Bethany Frankel, from the Real Housewives of New York fed me hot dogs while I made fun of Pauly skating. The scene ended when I bribed a little fat kid on the ice with a bacon-wrapped hot dog to check Pauly over the boards. It became an instant classic. Come to daddy. Just a little bite, a little bite, a little. Oh, fuck.
2: One for you, two for me.
0: Who the hell ever thought of putting bacon on a hot dog? God damn.
2: Freak
1: show! Oh my god, look Wait, at this!
0: What are you doing over there?
1: Come on, freak, I'll help you! Look at them, leaving you in the dust! What are you doing? There's no dust, it's ice, my Come friend! Come on, I'll help you!
0: You suck, you're a loser, look at me! You, you know, you look good, freak! Uh, uh, uh. Yo, kid! Come here! See that goofy bastard down there with the afro? I'll give you a hot dog if you knock him over. They're wrapped in bacon. Boom!
1: Bonnie, look! Paulie Gretzky, baby!
0: One morning at the beginning of filming episode three, I arrived on set and thought I was in some kind of weird alternate reality world. It was about 6:30 a.m., and as I walked in, I had to stop at the doorway and take in what I was witnessing. I saw Frank Stallone, yes, Sylvester Stallone's brother, with a guitar and a small amplifier strapped to his belt. He was singing his big hit, Take You Back from Rocky. While Frank was roaming around by himself singing, Mini Kiss, a group of little people that dressed like Kiss, were running around the room at top speed for some unknown reason. Mind you, filming for the day had not yet even begun. This was just happening while everyone was arriving on set that morning. All I could think of was who the hell has a better job than me? Here's a really fun clip of us singing Take You Back with Frank Stallone.
2: Hey, I don't take you back. call it do do reason. Do take you back. All right, hey, that's good. I, I, I used you guys in 1983. Huh?
0: <laughs> <laughs> this was one really fun episode to film in general. Paulie and Dave would always tease me that I looked like Frank Stallone. The joke was always that I wasn't handsome enough to look like his brother, Sylvester Stallone. People would always ask me, who is the craziest rock star or comedian you guys filmed with? To everyone's surprise, my answer would always be the same, Frank Stallone. Season 2 also had two of my favorite all-time episodes, Jailhouse Z-Rock and z wrestler Season 1 had a great underlying storyline connecting the entire season. For Season 2, though, IFC wanted more standalone episodes because they would work better as reruns. Jailhouse Z-Rock brought us back to the hometown of Jay Okerson's character, Neil. In the episode, Z-02 was scheduled to play a show with Poison singer Brett Michaels in Connecticut. On the way to the show, we made a pit stop through Neil's hometown where hilarity ensued. One of my all-time favorite scenes was when I had to distract a priest by giving him my confession. The actor who played the priest, David Martin, was very stiff and it was very hard to get any lines out of him. I was so completely comfortable acting and in front of the camera at this point that I just took control of the scene. I remember hearing the whole crew laughing and causing us to lose some really funny takes. There are a lot of great bloopers from that scene. Nuts. This place oh. ruined my life. Stop him. I'll stole this guy. Stop, Stop it. Father, Father, Father. Hold on, I got to talk to you. I got to talk to you, Father, please. I got to unburden my soul, Father, please. In, in, get in, get in there, get in there. What's
2: happening here?
0: May I help you? Yes, Father, I, I, I need to confess. I need Come to get down. some things off my chest, Father. Come in and sit down. Oh, thank Let you. Whoa, talk. look at this. This is beautiful. Thank wow. you. Wow. Oh, my God. Uh, Where's Jesus? What do you mean, where's Jesus? You know, the body, the blood, the crown of thorns, the Jesus I know and love. We celebrate the risen Christ, son. Oh, that's good, because the bloody one scares the hell out of me.
2: <laughs> What's your religious belief?
0: Oh, I'm Catholic, Father, of course.
2: Roman Catholic, that is.
0: No, not Roman. I'm from Sicily.
2: <laughs> Never mind. <clears throat> anyway, tell me what your problems are, son. Well, first, I just broke up with my girlfriend, Becky.
0: Oh, I'm sorry to hear about Becky. Whoa, Father, we're going to be all right for the rest of the day, but don't mention that name ever again, please. Anyway, you know, sometimes when I'm home now, I choke up on the bat a little bit. You know what I mean? I don't understand. I know how to put this so you can understand. You know, I, I lay my hands upon myself until you know until I'm fully anointed. That's normal for a young, healthy man. No, you don't understand. I don't want to do it. But the problem is, I go down to Gristiti's, right? I get myself a little walk-around pork. And the girl at the counter, she scoops up the potato salad. She bends over. Father, she's built like a beast. You know what I'm trying to say? I oh. think you'll be all right. <clears> oh, <throat> no, no, father, father. I have more. I have more. I'm a wrestling fan. Yes. So at the end of the month, they have these pay-per-views. And my cousin Charlie hooked me up with this box. And I get the pay-per-views for free now. You're not stealing, are you? Uh, mm. I'm not stealing. Charlie stole the box. But he gave it to me as a gift. So I don't really consider that stealing. <laughs> So what's the problem then? No, no, Father, please, sit, sit, sit. i got plenty more. You're
2: a very good boy, and I think what you just have to do is relax, and all these things will take care of themselves in due time. What, should I say some Hail Marys? We don't say Hail Marys here, but if that's what you like... That's my favorite. How many would you like to say? Say five, ten?
0: I mean, the Gorsitis girl alone deserves ten. I think at least twelve, thirteen, right? Say twelve, an even dozen. I don't know if this is going to be insulting to you, but I'm Italian. I got I to gotta express myself the way we do it. You know what you... I mean? Come here. I got to lean for the real thing, you know what I'm Oh, thank Father, you, Father, thank you so much. Thank you, Father. I, I feel really better already. Come
2: back anytime and oh. I'll be very happy to talk to you again.
0: Thank you, Father. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. By the way, Mary, I love what you're doing with this Episcopalian thing. It's phenomenal. My favorite all-time blooper, which actually made it into the episode, was when Neil hit the priest with the egg. When we shot that scene, Mohammed from the props department was standing about three feet from the priest. He was supposed to lightly hit the priest in the chest with the egg. Instead, Mohammed wound up like he was Roger Clemens and nailed him directly in the face. (laughs) The whole crew and cast were in shock. As soon as the director yelled cut, the priest looked at Muhammad with a disgusted look and said, I guess you missed. I remember hiding behind a tree with one of the head executives of IFC and crying with laughter. The set was so much fun every single day. We were having the time of our lives. The end of the episode was supposed to have us hand deliver a specially requested soup to Brett Michaels. We were all scheduled to film one night when Z-02 actually played with Brett at Mulcahy's in Long Island on March 19, 2009. Brett had been in touch with our producers and was excited to be on the show. We arrived to Mulcahy's with the whole Z-Rock crew to film the scene. For some reason, however, Brett decided he didn't want to get off his tour bus. This really surprised us. Not only was Brett really cool to us during the whole Kiss Poison tour but we had just hung out with him the night before and were talking about filming. This was one of my first real dealings with someone famous throwing a little bit of a diva fit. Besides the incident with Vince Neil in San Francisco, of course. Brett just got it in his head that night that he no longer wanted to film. He told our producers that he was a little bit under the weather and wanted to rest. Not only was this hurting the final scene of the episode but we just wasted thousands of dollars because the whole Z-Rock crew was there ready to film. Luckily, Gottlieb quickly rewrote the scene on the fly and we instead had Pauly chasing after Brett's tour bus with the soup. I never looked at Brett the same way after he screwed us over that night. Writing our scenes for season two was much different than season one. I had become very friendly with the head writer Andrew Gottlieb and his assistant writer Sam Brenner. Dave and I would play poker with them on set for hours every day in between takes. During those hours, we would always discuss scripts and ideas, and of course tell jokes. This meant I end up having a much larger impact on not only my character, but the show in general. One early morning, while we were getting ready to film the pre-scene in Jailhouse Z-Rock, Gottlieb, producer Mark Effman, and I were playing poker and discussing an upcoming episode. Everyone knew that I loved professional wrestling. Effman said that they were planning on a wrestling-themed episode where Paulie, Dave, and I dressed as 80s wrestlers like Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man. He also mentioned that they were in talks with Ric Flair to be the celebrity guest for that episode. Of course, I was immediately excited about the possibility of not only working with a legend like Ric Flair, but about filming a whole episode dedicated to one of my favorite things in the world, wrestling. But I had a much better idea than dressing like 80s wrestlers. I suggested to Gottlieb and Effman that Paulie, Dave, and I dress as our original wrestling characters. Effman said, What do you mean, original? I went on to explain that I'd been doing my Joey Licious wrestling character for years. They love the idea and that's how the Licious episode of Z-Rock was born. We found out shortly after that Ric Flair couldn't do the episode due to a scheduling conflict, but the producers had secured another famous wrestler, Chris Jericho, as the guest star. I was definitely disappointed that I wasn't going to work with Flair. He had always been one of my all-time favorite wrestlers growing up. Of course, I knew Jericho, but he was definitely from more of the newer class of wrestlers. I always liked him in WCW and thought his promos were awesome. The weekend before we filmed Z-Wrestler, we all headed back to LA for the Spirit Awards that aired on IFC every year. This was our first experience being part of an awards show, and we were pretty excited. Because the Spirit Awards were on IFC, and Z-Rock was their flagship show, Paulie Dave and I were asked to present an award at the show that night. Once we got to LA, we received the red carpet treatment all weekend. This was the first time that I really felt like a bona fide celebrity. I had never thought of us like that, but now that Xerox was a hit and we were going to not only be mingling with Hollywood A listers, but on stage in front of them presenting an award, we felt like we belonged. The day before the award show, we had a run-through of what we were supposed to do when presenting. We each had a few lines to read from the teleprompter. The only problem was that the lines were really straight, not funny, and just not us. We had dinner and drinks with everyone from IFC that night, and we were telling the president of IFC, Evan Shapiro, that we didn't love what they had written for us to say on the award show. He said, then don't say it. Write something else. We said, are we allowed to do that? He went on to tell us that IFC asked you three to present an award to show off your unique personalities and to tell the world about z Be yourselves and come up with a little bit that will leave people saying, I have to see their show. We all agreed and knew the exact bit that we were going to use. When we arrived at the Spirit Awards, we were immediately greeted by our guide for the day. She ushered us through the red carpet to greet the press and take hundreds of photos. Each celebrity had their own guide that would steer them in the right direction through the press and event activities. It was an amazing experience. I've seen dozens of red carpet shows on TV and always wondered what it would be like to actually walk one. Dozens of photographers were screaming out names to get stars to look at them so they could get the best shot. This worked great when they were trying to get a picture of one celebrity, but in our case, there was three of us, so I don't think there's one picture where all of us are looking in the same direction. Idiots. After the red carpet, they guided us to the swag tent. We had no idea what a swag tent was, but we were eager to find out. Once inside, we saw dozens of stations showcasing all sorts of different products. Anything from toothpaste to new smartphones to vacations. Our guide explained, just go to each station and sign up for anything you want. We still weren't sure what she meant exactly. We asked, what do you mean sign up? She further explained kind of joyously because she had realized we'd never done this before. Everything and anything in here is free. We ran into the room like kids on a Toys R Us shopping spree. It was so weird seeing Elaine from Seinfeld standing next to me signing up for free toothpaste. It made no sense. These millionaire celebrities didn't need free things, yet each and every one of them were in the room with us, each getting as much stuff as possible. (laughs) It was a fun experience. After the swag tent, we were taken to our table. Because IFC ran the whole show, our table was right against the stage, dead center. Basically, the featured table of the night. All other tables were slightly behind us. Seeing people like Alec Baldwin, Jessica Alba, and Mickey Rourke sitting behind us was really quite extraordinary. After watching the awards for a little bit, we were escorted backstage to get ready to present the award in the Best Cinematography category. After doing a few minutes of press, We started to get ready in the dressing room alongside Christina Applegate, who was very sweet and nice to us. Paulie looked like a lovesick puppy when he met her, since he was a giant Married with Children fan, and he had a crush on her since he was a little kid. As we made our way to the stairs and up to the stage, I told the other guys not to walk too fast because I still had a pretty bad limp from my ACL. As we started to go over our routine, who stood behind us but Cameron Diaz? she was to present right after us. She laughed at our bit and told us, don't be nervous, guys. I love it and you will do great. She was super sweet and friendly, but also extremely skinny in person. We heard the host, comedian Stephen Cohan, announce, from the hit TV show, Z-Rock, here they are, Z-O-2. We came out from behind the curtain to a mild applause, except for a screaming Eric Roberts, the star of one of my all-time favorite movies, The Pulp of Greenwich Village. Apparently, he was a big z fan. We were all set to go into our newly scripted routine. Paulie, Dave, and I had prepared something that actually happened in real life. Just like most of our z scripts, even our award show presentation for Best Cinematography was based on real life. The bit went something like this. When you think of cinematography, you think of our next presenters from the IFC hit comedy series, Z-Rock.
2: Please welcome the band, Z-O-2. Thank you. How
0: you doing? I'm David. I'm
1: Joey. And I'm Paulie. And we are here to present the award for best choreography.
0: Choreography? Did you just say that?
1: Yes. dude. Cinematography. (laughs) Say it with me. Cinematography. Okay, cinematography, choreography, doesn't matter. The point is mute. Mute? The word is moot,
0: stupid. You should be mute.
1: Obviously, being musicians, we never really understood what cinematography was. But now that we have our own TV show, I think we're getting a handle on it. By the way, did he mention we have our own TV show on the Independent Film Channel? So, um, thank you, thank you. So, uh, ladies in the the audience, just you might want to keep that in mind. (laughs) Thank you. I'll continue. So, the nominees for Best
2: Cinematography are... Maurice Alberti, The Wrestler.
0: Lowell Crawley, Ballast. James Laxton, Medicine for Melancholy. Harris Savides, Milk. Michael Simmons, Chop Shop. Spirit Award goes to... Mauricio Alberti, Alberti, the wrestler! (laughs) (laughs) This was taken straight from an actual conversation that Paulie had with Gene Simmons years prior on the KISS tour. The bit got a huge laugh and we got to present the award for Best Cinematography to the movie The Wrestler. Overall, it was a perfect night that I will remember forever. At the after party, I even got into a pretty heated argument with Buffy the Vampire Slayer star Eliza Dushku. It turns out Elijah was a big Boston Red Sox fan, and I was obviously a big New York Yankees fan. We had a friendly argument about who is the better team. I obviously won that discussion. After the Spirit Awards, we still had one more night in LA with everyone from IFC. They planned a small dinner and get-together to celebrate our success at the Spirit Awards. They all seemed proud of us and thought we came across very funny, natural, and of course, ridiculous. Exactly what they wanted. Even though they weren't invited, and IFC actually didn't want them there, Bob and Lynn came along for the whole trip. It was as if they didn't want us to be alone around the network, the producers, or our label. Curious. Midway through dinner, Bob got an interesting and exciting call. It was from the now head of a and at Universal Records, Jason Flom. Earlier in the book, if you remember, I talked about Flom, who was once the head of A&R at Atlantic Records, and my former band, Exposed, was trying desperately to get him to sign us, only to be told we were two 80s. It turns out that Flom had been a massive fan of Z-Rock and wanted to sit down and talk with us. Even though the dinner that IFC was having was mainly in our honor, we couldn't pass up an opportunity to sit down with the one and only Jason Flom. We met him at a small place in Beverly Hills. He greeted us like he knew us, and in a way, he did, from z He was nice, and we talked for around two hours about everything and anything. Jason wasn't a big drinker, so we all decided to have giant milkshakes during the meeting. I'm sure this was quite a ways off from when he used to have meetings with bands like Twisted Sister or Skid Row back in the day. We played it cool and never really talked business with him. It felt like he was trying to feel us out. I guess we felt pretty good because Bob got a call the next day before we left for the airport that Jason had a great idea about him appearing on Xerox and really signing us to a record contract on the air during the episode. If the Spirit Awards appearance had us flying high, this sent us into outer space. Once we returned to New York, we received an invite from Joan Rivers to guest star with her on NBC's Celebrity Apprentice. Joan was doing a challenge against the other contestants, and we appeared on the show with her to help sell cupcakes. It was a fun experience. The day after filming The Apprentice, it was time to get back to filming Z-Rock. Filming the episode z wrestler was one of the best moments of Z-Rock for me. Not only did it really showcase me, but it also let me play my alter ego I've been wanting to be since I first saw wrestling come on TV that fateful Saturday morning back in 1983. The world would now finally be introduced to Joey Licious. As soon as Chris Jericho came onto the set, we knew it was going to be a fun week of filming. He pre-immediately made fun of us to break the ice. The three of us, who were now all dressed as our wrestling alter egos, pulled pork Paulie, Chip and Dave, and Joey Licious greeted Jericho and he started laughing at us. He said, Why the hell are you guys wearing cups? Paulie quickly responded, Why? Wrestlers don't wear cups? Jericho laughed even harder. No, we don't wear cups. Dave chimed in, Then how do you protect your nuts? Jericho, still laughing, replied, Wow you guys are exactly like you are on the show. It was the perfect way to break the ice. It turned out that Jericho was a big fan of Z-Rock season one and was thrilled to be on the show. Chris was hysterical and an absolute joy to work with. Here's a great clip from Z-Rock that actually never made the show. It's Paulie, Dave, and I introducing our wrestling characters. Let me tell you right now, I don't care if we were the biggest rock stars in the world, this is what I want to do, right here, baby. I've always wanted to be Joey Licious, the Italian Dream, baby. <laughs> the world heavyweight champion, right here. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> so.
1: I guess you're right. Are you crazy? <laughs> we do. I am the we man, do man of the hour,
0: see. the tower of power. Too sweet to be sour. We oh do. my God! How long did you practice that? <laughs> what do you oh, practice. haven't Been practicing that since I'm five. What do you mean?
1: He's been dying for the day when what he can I say doing? those moves.
0: Dude, come on! You can't tell from the bow tie. Can Gaila? No! Chip and
1: Dave, baby! Uh, like uh, the Disney cartoon? Uh, Chip and Dale, no, Rescue no, Rangers? No, not
0: Chip and Dale. <laughs> Chip and Dave, baby. The women love me, the men want to be me. Oh my God, what's your move?
1: Dude, I'm, I'm taking a whole new outlook on the pile driver. It's called the pump and dump.
0: Swirl around a little and boop, dump them. Right on their head. Did you think this out?
1: You know you're oh, wrestling like a... dudes, right?
0: Yeah, but swirl around and then you're going to dump on the dude that's good i might need a new move that's an okay move but it's nothing on mine baby it's got nothing on mine you ready the python comes up and then the garlic knot comes ah, down baby ah, ah, a garlic knot. i smell it from here Are you crazy oh <laughs> you know i'm filled with sicilian love juice my love oil makes me slip out of any move baby i cannot be pinned Woo. What
1: about you? Yeah, what is this? (laughs) Dude, I'm pulled pork poly, baby. Triple P. Triple P? Triple P. What's your move? Well, I have three things that I do, okay? I have the appetizer. It's a pigs in a blanket. I wrap them up in my cape so that they can't move. And then I got the entree. It's called the pork belly. And what I do is I grab their stomachs and I pull the pork right out of them. And then they just drop to the floor. And then the dessert, is I pour barbecue sauce all over them?
0: Please don't tell me you eat it.
1: No, not me. My mascot, brisket.
0: Your mascot? What? Is that a pig? Yeah. And his name is brisket.
1: Yep. Brisket <laughs> is
0: beef. You
1: mope. I know. What's wrong with you? you just name him lamb chop. Lamb chop for? A- <laughs> That's not a pig's name. Are you an idiot?
0: The episode was directed by Brad Hall from Saturday Night Live fame and husband of Seinfeld's Elaine, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Z-Wrestler was filmed with so many bloopers and laughs behind the scenes that it was easily my favorite episode. The scene when I first see Chris Jericho at the birthday party was completely improv by me. The idea was for me to get super excited because my character was a big wrestling fan and an even bigger Chris Jericho fan. I took it to the next level. Up until this point in Xerox, it could be said that I played the most normal character. I was more of the cool Italian drummer, while Paulie and Dave were goofier and more childish. That was about to change. When my eyes first saw Chris Jericho entering the room, I started to scream like a little girl at a Backstreet Boys concert in 1999. I began jumping up and down, clapping and practically weeping. We got everything and more that we needed on the very first take. When Brad Hall called cut on that first take, the whole room absolutely exploded with laughter. No one was ready for, nor could they believe, my over-the-top hysteria. They loved it. After the scene, Brad told me that it was one of the funniest things he'd ever seen. That's a pretty big compliment coming from someone who starred on Saturday Night Live.
1: Prince Jericho! Oh oh
0: oh 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 I've never, ever seen you act like this. You know how much I love the Yankees? Yes. You know how much I love the Pope? Yes. Uh-huh. Times that by 50, there's my love for Chris Jericho. What am I supposed to do? The heart wants what it wants. I'm looking at him right now, he's right there! And hey, what's your name, little guy? Actually, I was next. I was next. He's beautiful!
2: Lowing
1: high! high, guys! high! high! Chris, Chris, Chris. Whoa, man,
0: wasn't that, that was awesome? You really brought the violence to that song, man. Listen. I don't need to take advice
2: from the drummer in a kid's band, okay?
0: Whoa, whoa.
2: You don't even have a drum set. I'm
0: sorry if a Canadian couldn't understand how I was talking. Maybe I should say it in French. I'll lock kick your ass. You want a
2: fracas? Yeah, you want to throw hands? Let's go. What, are you going to hit me with that schnoz? It's like Come a on. plantain stuck in the middle
1: of your face. Grandfather's you want to watch. I don't oh, want to get blood it. on that. You, you want to bring go? the vodka? Yeah, show us go. 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 Ah! Move out of the way! the
0: The violence isn't supposed to end like this. <laughs> it's the perfect example of turning a negative into a positive. When I tore my ACL, I could have easily gotten down and took off a few episodes of Z-Rock. Instead, I fought through the pain and discomfort on set and wound up filming, in my and many others' opinions, one of the best episodes of Z-Rock ever. The day after filming z Wrestler, I had surgery to repair my torn ACL. They used a cadaver's ACL. That's a dead body for anyone who doesn't know. The plan was for Z-Rock to halt production for one week, then resume as planned. The opening of the next episode, Z My Baby, showed Paulie and Dave picking me up from the hospital. In the episode, I explained my injury like this. How could you possibly let this happen? I was going down to Faico's, my weekly pork pickup. There was a piece of super hanging from the ceiling on a hook. I couldn't reach it. I took two cans of olive oil, I stacked them up, stood on it, boom! Wiped right out. So irresponsible! No, it's actually a very common Italian injury. (laughs) The episode was filled with guest stars galore, including NFL Hall of Famer Warren Sapp, rock DJ Eddie Trunk, and the band Steel Panther, who we would face off against in the Battle of the Bands. I spent the whole episode confined to a wheelchair, and ZO2 had Warren Sapp fill in on drums. (laughs) Crazy. Somehow, even me having surgery worked out. Me being in the wheelchair made us come up with some funny, crazy ideas for storylines. And they worked perfectly. For anyone out there that has had ACL replacement surgery, you know for the first few weeks you are in excruciating pain, completely immobile, and need of extensive rehab to get back into walking shape. But I fought through all of that, filmed on the set of Z-Rock every day for 16 hours, and instead of taking a lunch break, I would spend an hour at rehab. I'm not sure anyone, the producers, the network, our managers... Paulie or Dave ever realized how hard it was for me to do that every day. I never complained or made any issue of it. Whatever they needed me to do, I figured out a way to do it.